You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. I'll be sharing out of Colossians chapter 2. And I'm supposed to be sharing on verses 8 through 15. But we're going to talk a little bit, first of all, about... Uh, verses 1 through 7, because <clears throat> last week got, Clint got a last-minute notice that the preacher couldn't be here, so he had to share out of another chapter. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. But first of all, I'm going to preach about 60 minutes, maybe a little longer. But I'll make a deal with you. For every amen that I get, I haven't even started yet. For every amen I get, I promise you I'll knock off five minutes. Amen. All right, we're done. <laughs> no, it's good to be here this morning. And uh, I'm really excited. To, and it's really ringing bad up here. Thank you, sir. But I was excited to share about Colossians chapter 2. I was, as I've been reading it over and over and over and over again, Paul and I are criers. And I actually brought up a roll of uh, paper towels over there to show you. No, I'm just teasing. I got it in my back pocket. But as I began to read that and began to get into it, it reminded me of how hopeless I was and how lost I was. And I remember reading scripture about Paul saying, I am the chief of sinners. I was a first, I was a close first on that, I guarantee you. But God reached down, touched my heart, and he changed me changed my life. And so we'll be getting into Colossians a little bit, and we're going to, just going to take a look on how God changes our lives and what, how important he is to us in our relationship. The last time I was up here, I had my notes all, all decked out, and I was going through my notes and going through my notes, and I kept flipping them over. And I got my eyes off my notes, and so I just started talking and I came back while I was looking out at people sitting out here, and I grabbed my notes, and I flipped them over. And when I looked down, <clears throat> I looked at the last, it was my closing, and I looked at my closing, and I said, I do not remember closing like this. And uh, I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm gonna, I've got it numbered, and I'll go through one page at a time, all 700 of them, but we're going to go through it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. But in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 7, Paul warns the believers of false teaching that was coming from the Gnostics and the Judaizers. Of course, we know the word Gnostic. That's where we get our word knowledge from. And the Gnostics taught that salvation came through knowledge, that flesh was evil and the spirit was good. Guys, knowledge is good, but any knowledge that leads you away from the truth of God from God's word 
and Christ and in him alone. You guys, need, we need to run away from that right there as quick as possible. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us this. And there is salvation in no other one. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In John chapter, that's five more minutes. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. Once again, knowledge is not bad and it's good. And I suggest that we each get a little bit of knowledge. I need it desperately. But when that knowledge leads you away from the truth of God, from God, and from the truth of Jesus Christ as being our Redeemer, then my suggestion is that you run away from it as fast as possible. And Paul was going to deal with that. And then the Judaizers would come in. And, of course, we know what they taught. Works-based salvation. Works-based salvation. You know, it's Jesus plus a little bit of circumcision. It's Jesus plus abstaining from certain from certain meats. But we know what the scripture says about that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. What does it say? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast, because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And so I just wanted to say, talk a little bit about the things that Paul was dealing with. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Colossians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7. And that's not my scriptures that I'm supposed to be preaching on, but I have to touch on it just a little bit because it's the springboard into verses 8 through 15. And this is what Paul says. For I want you, oh, for you, those that don't know, the ESV is not up there. I'm reading out of the NAS, and I did not want to confuse you, okay? For I want you to know how great a struggle I have had on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have had no, have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge, let's look back at that again, a true knowledge of God's mystery. And that mystery is what? What? Christ. Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For I say this in order that no one may delude, and I want to read those words again, Christ is the true knowledge. And then he writes a little further down, he goes, and I don't want anybody to do what? To delude you with persuasive arguments. And this is what the Gnostics and this is what the Judaizers were coming in and doing. For even though I am absent in body, Nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see that your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. As ye therefore have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. So when we begin to read that, and I'm just going to do an, an overview of these first seven verses. In these first seven verses, Paul encourages the believer... As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. So there's the big question. The big question is simply this. How do they receive Christ Jesus 
And what should they do to continue in his grace and his mercy? Well, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 or 8 through 10, it says this. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses. Amen. Say that again. Amen. And that's five more minutes off, but I, I, I was, stand up and say it again, Paul. Resulting in salvation. So in these verses, Paul encourages the believer, as you have therefore received Christ, so walk you in him. It is an act of faith on our part to accept the finished work of the cross and allow the Lord to come into our hearts to wash us clean and make us a child of God. Can I get one more amen? You're down to a 40-minute sermon. See, here's the bottom line. The enemy of your souls seeks to pollute your faith, your understanding, your stability, and our Christ-centered knowledge. And this is our Christ-centered knowledge. We get into this and we begin to learn and we begin to glean knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done for us. The enemy of our souls is looking for just one little loose thread. If he can attack your stability, if he can attack your faith, if he can attack your Christ-centered knowledge, he's looking for that loose piece of thread that he can get a hold of. And you know what? Several years ago, I loved my parents to death, but they did me terribly wrong one time. We had put some brand new carpet, Berber carpet. Does anybody know anything about Berber carpet? Oh, yeah. Brand new Berber carpet down in my living room. What was that dog's name? Frankie. Oh. Lord, forgive me for what I think, think about that dog. We had this brand new carpet that we had just put down. And man, I was so proud of it. I had to scrape and save my money. And we finally got rid of that old nasty stained carpet that we had there. And it was, it was beautiful. My dad and my mom came over and said, uh, I got this dog for you. His name is Frankie. Everybody say Frankie. Yeah. His name is Frankie. And he said, if you don't take him, then we're going to have to take him to the pound. And you know what they were doing, don't you? They were playing on my emotions. Me and Paul are criers, and that's okay. I'm emotional. And so I took the dog in. I already had a dog, and his name was Spunky. So we had Spunky, and we had Frankie. Spunky was a good dog. You think I'm pulling your leg, but I'm not. And so Karen and I had left for work one morning. And when I came back, much to my surprise, 
That dog had found one. Didn't you, you guys know about Berber carpet? I already said that once, didn't I? You know how it's got that one little thread? And if you don't, if you grab a hold of it and pull it, something bad happens. You get a pair of scissors and you clip it. Well, that dog didn't have a pair of scissors. And so he grabbed a hold of that thread, and I am not joking you. That dog pulled that carpet, that string, and he had half of my carpet pulled up in a huge pile. Am I telling the truth? Thank you very much. Amen. And I walked in and saw that carpet, and my jaw dropped, and Spunky had no he had no clue what was to befall him. But he sat there in front of that pile of carpet thread and he grinned. He was looking at me going. <laughs> and all I could think about was going over and grabbing him around the neck and just choking the life out of that dog. But anyway, mercy and grace took over and that dog found a new home. But the enemy of your soul is looking for a loose thread in your relationship with God. How many knows what I'm talking about? He's looking for one little thing he can grab a hold of and grab it and run with it until you just fall apart. That's not God's design. That's not God's plan for you. Paul starts out in verse 8, and this is where we're going to go from there, from chapter 7, we're, I mean, verses 1 through 7. We're going to go into verse 8 and go all the way to verse 15. But I want to read one verse at a time. And I love this verse. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. And so in these verses that I'm going to be talking about here for a few minutes, he starts off at the very beginning of this verse and he, he uses these three little words. See to it. How many, how many of you ever heard, had that said to you? My parents... And I love them dearly. They had a handful raising four boys, a girl, and two dogs. But when my parents were leaving to go somewhere, there was always three words that come out of their mouth, inevitably. See to it. And I knew that I had a task that I needed to have done before they got back. Or it was, see to it. Stay out of the stuff and don't get in to it. Paul uses these three words to believers to be cautious of becoming captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men. Just like my parents, Paul said, see to it that this does not take place in your life according to the elementary principles of the world. The word captive here means kidnapped or seduced. The word captive here is not in the physical sense, 
but rather in the spiritual sense and in the way that we think. And Paul is saying, don't allow anybody to, to bring you into captivity. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Scripture says, who the Son has made free, what? He is free indeed. So as Paul uses these three words, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive. The word captive here, once again, is not in the physical sense, but it's in the spiritual sense. My older brother, and I love him dearly, My older brother got me into more trouble. It was not my fault. He was older, and I wasn't responsible for my actions. Or at least that's what I'd like to believe. And we lived out in the country, and my dad had this chicken house. And he was so excited about that chicken house because he was thinking about I'm raising four boys, a dog, no, two dogs and a girl. And I need all the eggs I can get. My dad was excited about those chickens. As a matter of fact, I, as a kid, I can remember him going out and going through the chicken house with a hat and he would gather up the eggs. So my brother talked me into going out there and having an egg fight. What could it hurt? Not a thing. And so we went out there and the eggs and the chickens had just laid and so we gathered up the eggs, and inside we were too dumb for words. And in the chicken house, we had an egg fight, and there was eggs on the wall. There was eggs over the floor. There was eggs everywhere. Well, every day at noon, my father would come home from, from work, and he would see this, and he came and got us, and he says, <clears throat> Don't you go back into that chicken house again. You stay out. See to it that this doesn't happen again. <clears throat> I'm not joking. The very next day, my brother came to me and he said, <clears throat> Dad's not here. Let's go out and have some more fun. You remember watching the Jungle Book? And what was that little boy's name? Mowgli? There was a snake. I remember this part of it, the snake that crawled up to him, or I think it was in the tree or whatever. And he was talking, he was talking to Mowgli, and he was hissing, and his eyeballs were spinning. Remember that part of it? His eyeballs were spinning and he was, and, and Mowgli was watching his eyeballs and he became hypnotized as to what the snake was saying. You know what the snake wanted to do? Wanted to eat him. I'm not saying my brother was a snake, but he was a charmer, I can tell you that much. I was innocent. So we went out there and we took those eggs and we had us a K-9 
king-size egg fight after my brother had charmed me into doing it. And there were eggs everywhere. My father got home. He went back out to the chicken house, and he looked in there. We were done. And he saw that mess, and he came and got me and my brother immediately. Paul said, see to it that you don't allow anybody to take you captive. And I don't remember how old I was. I think I was about his size right there. And my brother was just a little bit taller than me. And he came and got us. And he had gathered up some more eggs or eggs that he had left over from the egg that when we didn't have the egg fight. And he had a bunch of eggs. It was actually two dozen eggs. And he took me and my brother and we wore them little low shorts. We didn't wear any shoes out in the country and we didn't wear a t-shirt, but we had t-shirts on that day. And he made us take our t-shirts off. We were standing there in our shorts and he came up to me and he grabbed an egg and he cracked it on my head and he rubbed it on my head. He cracked another egg and he rubbed it some more on my head and in my face. He'd go to jail now for doing that, but back then it was funny. He cracked another egg and he wiped it. And when he finished cracking a dozen eggs on me, he did the same thing to my brother. Well, it was in the summer. And I remember standing out there with egg on my face and my body, standing at attention. Dad was in the military. He went to the house to eat, and he was watching out the window. He goes, and don't you move from there until I tell you to. And when he had finished, I shriveled up. I, can't, I look like a raisin. <laughs> but Paul uses these three words to warn the believers to be cautious not to become captive through philosophy and empty deception according to, to the traditions of men. And when we allow somebody to speak into our lives, when we allow somebody to speak into our lives, guess what happens? We allow them to dictate to us their thinking. If it's not according to the Word of God, if it's not according to God's knowledge, if it's not according to the Spirit of God, then you know what you need to do? Pick up your bags and run. I'm going to finish with this. In verses 9 through 15, and Paul said this in the last part of that verse, he says, rather than according to Christ. He goes, I want you to shun those people, but I want you to live according to Christ. And in verses 9 through 15, and I'll be closing with this. This is my third closing, Clint. And this is the reason why. For in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And this is why we would rather listen to Christ instead of other people. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith 
in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your faith, he made you alive together with him, living forgiven, having concealed or canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And so when we take a look at these verses here, 9 through 15, Paul gives us the reason why we turn to Christ. Because it's in him, it's by him, it's through him, and it's from him. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.